Um, if you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we'll be. We've been walking through Paul's letter to this church in Corinth. And we've been doing that since last fall. And I'll tell you, this is kind of a mini-series within a series because um, beginning today and for the next several weeks, um, I'm going to be talking about, we're going to be looking at um, from God's Word what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. And so um, this is just a, a part one You'll have some questions. I'm not going to answer everything today. And you'll think, well, I wonder what about that. You can email me because um, I want, I, over the next four or five weeks, would love to be able to address those things that you um, uh, have questions about. And, and let me just say, I, if you put spiritual gifts in the subject line, I'll read it, all right? So um, if, if you don't, I, all bets are off. Uh, but I'll read those if you want to email me because I, I do. I want to know what kind of questions um, come up because he, here's the deal. We, um, we tend to think about the Christian life like this and I, kind of our reflex. And, and that is that the Christian life is about you know, me and my God. All right? So God has saved me. And so now what I'm trying to do in my life is be good. I'm gonna, I want to be better. That, you know, we need that. And then I'm, um, I want to know more, understand more. And um, in church is a good place to do that because they talk about that every Sunday. They're supposed to. That's their, that's their job. So I go to the church because like, and we think I'm a, because I'm a plant. And so sometimes I go to the church and I got to, I need the soil. I need to get new soils. Get the, rid of the old soil and get the new soil, you know, or I need watering. You know what I mean? I go there on Sundays and I, to, to get watered and, and then, um, or, or whatever, you know, I'm a car and I need my, the, the tank filled or whatever it is. And then sometimes we think, well, well, that wasn't any good. I, th that, that wasn't any good water. I mean, we didn't sing any of the songs I wanted to sing. And I went there to get all filled up. And I, you know, I just got the regular unleaded. Now, I was looking for premium unleaded. You know, I mean, I know how you people are. That's how it goes. And, um, and, and, so, that's, and so that's, we do that. And, and so we need to be reminded. Listen, we're not the only ones who've ever done that. They were doing it back in Corinth. You know, they were trying to know, okay, what does it mean to be spiritual? How do we, Paul, how do we know? So remember, Paul's answering some questions. How do we know if we're spiritual? Because I want to know. We, we, we need, how, but more than that, how do I know if I, that I'm more spiritual than the person I'm sitting next to is really what I want to know. How do we know who's the most spiritual? I mean, if we were given prizes, how do we know who gets the first place? Because, you know, that's important, right? Well, Paul, he's wanting to correct some of these things. He, he's, wanting, he, he, he's not wanting to manage what God's Spirit is doing. So God's Spirit is pouring out God's grace on the Corinthians. And Paul's not wanting to manage that. He's wanting to help them understand 
Okay, this is why and how God's doing what he's doing. How should we respond to that? What does it mean to be a believer in the body of Christ, indwelt by the Spirit of God, and empowered for God's purposes? Now, let me remind you of something about the Corinthian church. I'm going to read just a couple of verses from chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. If not, just listen to these, these words. So, it's the introduction. So, he's writing to them. Remember, Corinthian church, they've got a bunch of division. Um, you know, they're probably a young church. Uh, and they've, they've got some problems. And so, Paul's trying to work these problems, work out these problems. But when he... But when he writes this introduction to them, listen to what he says about them. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. So he says, hey, Corinthians, man, every time I think about you, I give thanks for you. I give thanks for the grace that God has poured out on you. And what we're going to see this morning is that grace is not just abstract. It's not just merely theological grace. It's like real, tangible, working. We can see it. Grace. God's poured it out on you. Now listen, he goes on and says, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You got all the gifts. You got all of them. God's grace has been poured out on you, Corinth, in such a you got all the gifts. Which is remarkable because if you would think, well, maybe did they deserve all the gifts? No, you don't have to read very far to know this they had some problems. But the pouring out of God's grace was unconditional. And not directly related to how good they were as a church or how good they are as people. God is just pouring out his grace on them for his purpose. All right. So, Paul's not trying to manage what it is that God's doing. He's not trying to put up some rules and say, well, you can do this and not do this, but I don't know, that, that gift, I don't know about that gift anymore. He's not doing any of that. He said, I want you to know why God's done this. And how we are to think about it. All right. Chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to read 11 verses. That's about all we have time for this morning. Here's what he says. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. 
or anathema, literally what it is. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everything. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Bow with me. Father, help us to hear these words today. And to make sense of them and to transform our lives. We want that. And so open our minds and ears and hearts to what your spirit would do through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's an introduction, and Paul's one to say, so, so it's an introduction, actually, those first three verses. Really, it's an introduction to chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. All three of these chapters are about spiritual gifts. And some of you are like, well, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. I think they read 1 Corinthians 13 at my wedding, and it wasn't about spiritual gifts. It was about love. All right. So let me help. Let me help you for a second. Or, or I saw on Facebook a, a verse ripped out of its context, put there for my benefit, about love, because it's Valentine's week. And, and you're telling me it's about spiritual gifts. Well, yes, it is. And you should have love in your gifts or whatever. But if 12 is, I'd learned this in seminary, um, 12 um, what comes after that is 13. <clears throat> it's kind of shocking to me. And then what comes after that is 14. And if chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts, and it clearly is, and chapter 14 is about spiritual gifts, and it clearly is, then 13 that really comes between those two numbers. That's also about spiritual gifts. And in fact, he starts it out that way. And so these three chapters are about spiritual gifts. And these three verses at the beginning of chapter 12 introduce these three chapters. He says, now concerning, and it alerts us. Oh, okay, in the, in the language, how the language works, he uses this conjunction. Here's another question. I'm answering another question. Remember, they've written him a letter. And he's answering them. And we don't know exactly what the question was related to this. But it was probably something like, yeah, how do we know who's the most spiritual? It might have been that, hey, we, um, we, we were, were getting ready to do a reality deal um, called Corinth's Got Talent. And, I mean, yeah, um, 
We're playing with some ideas. But anyways, Paul, here's what we need to know. The, the Spirit of God, here's what we got. The Spirit of God gives people gifts, and some of those gifts are better than others, and some people are more spiritual than us. How do we know this? Or maybe it was, hey, we have some people that kind of drive us crazy, but they think they're more spiritual than everybody else. How can we talk to them about that? Or, Paul, how, Help explain to us how spiritual gifts and what God's doing in the lives of, of individuals, what are we supposed to do with that? And so Paul is writing to, to answer how do we think about spiritual gifts. So look at what he says. So now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, our translations have helped us out there. The word gifts is not actually in the original language. It doesn't come there until verse 4. The word is really now concerning the spiritual or those who are spiritual or things that are spiritual. Paul's saying, I, I, I'm going to start, Corinthians, with where you are. You think in terms of um, if it's spiritual, it must be good. So, I'll start where you are. Let's talk about things that are spiritual. I don't want you to be uninformed, he says. In other words, he wants to move them. They've been looking in the mirror and admiring themselves. They've been looking at, at God... And saying, well, God gave me this. This must mean something about me. And Paul wants to shift their view. He wants them to not look in the mirror. He wants them to look at God. He wants them not worried about glorifying themselves and making a big deal about themselves. He wants them to live out the purposes of God and glorifying Him. Here's this illustration. It would be like on... Um, like a Christmas morning, if you were a parent and you had a bunch of kids, and, the, and you all gathered around the tree, and, um, uh, and the kids started, and the, and the children, they started opening the gifts. And you had one child open a gift, and they go, oh, this, I love this. This is great. You know, because they, and, cause they you know, they're like a good gift getter. Um, you have some kids that aren't. They're like, oh, well, that's nice. Uh, you know, whatever. But they're a good gift giver. They say, oh, thank you. Thank you for this gift. And then, and then the, the, like the older brother, he opens his gift and he's like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. And then he looks at the other sibling and he says, see, this is better than yours. Mom and dad love me more. <laughs> and they began to speak about their significance related, on the, related to the kind of gifts they give. Speaking about how much their parents loved them over the other based on the gifts they were given. So it's a real technical term when something like that happens. It's called missing the point. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. So then he says, um, you, 
I don't want you to be uninformed because you came out of, you used to be idol worshipers. Most of you used to be idol worshipers. That's what you did growing up in Corinth. You, you were pagans, he says. You were led away. You know, in those idol worshiping days of yours when you had the mute idols. You know what that means? When your idols are mute, when the, when the gods that you went to the temple to worship couldn't speak because they're made of stone. Here's what it means. It means when your idols are mute and they can't talk, you do all the talking. Because you don't have to worry about your idols speaking up to contradict you. It's what happens when we make versions of our own God. Idols are mute. There's some commentators, and I'm probably right, they see in this language of led away, led astray, you know, however you were led, that word, it, it, that it's language and it's a reference to what we might call um, ecstatic behavior. So, in, in how, how people would, would talk, you know, kind of a hyper-talking or um, in body movement, Or, or a, a display of being out of control. So someone might say, well, something just took over and it was amazing, you know, et cetera, things like that. And that was very much a part of the mystery religions of the Mediterranean world at that time. And it may be Paul nodding to this. It may be because, you know, he's going to talk later in chapter 14. He's going to talk about orderly worship and having a sound mind and all of that stuff. <clears throat> and so it may be that he's referencing it, which is a reminder this morning for us that not everything that is spiritual is Christian. Let's say that again because it's real subversive in most of the you know, kind of context that we live. Not everything that is spiritual is Christian. If you just went back to chapter 10, you looked at verse 20, what you see is that Paul says, look, a lot of those things that are spiritual, you know what it really is? It's really activity that is animated by demonic spirits. And you shouldn't have any part of that because not everything that's spiritual is Christian. Here's one of the things, the, the, these things that are spiritual but aren't Christian, they're very me-centered. You know, it's very individualized in my growth and it's really about me and mostly it has to do with me getting rid of a whole bunch of people in my life and ex exclusion happens, isolation happens. I read an article this weekend. I, it was in, from The Guardian and I don't really know how I read it. It just sort of came up on my Apple news feed. And I ended up reading it. It was by a, uh, a, a woman named Annie Rice. And the title of the article was, When Yoga Turns Toxic. Okay? Relax. I'm not sitting about yoga. Necessarily. <laughs> but she was describing the toxicity 
of the yoga culture that she immersed herself in. Tell you why I read it. I was interested because I, my dearest friends for 25 years now. His wife has just picked up and left. This is very much part of the story that she'll tell someday if she ever comes to her senses. Lady, Annie Rice writes it this way. She says, from the very first downward dog, which I know that's a thing, but that's funny, right? I mean, that never quits being funny to me. Uh, from my very first downward dog, I was hooked. But training as a yoga teacher was the beginning of a 10-year roller coaster that led me to a miserable world of false promises, exploitation, and near-total burnout. I was enchanted by the yoga world and mesmerized by yoga teachers in general. The incense, the candles, the vague platitudes about the meaning of life, they were all intoxicating. Listen, if we're talking about anything like that, we're talking about idols. We're talking about things that are animated by demonic spirits. This is not just a first century Mediterranean world thing, you know, and then like the, all the demons were done. The course was a glorious mix of red flags and life-changing moments. And the teacher was a miraculous creature we worshipped. Just the language. There are a lot of things that have a culture like that or a world like that. And so Paul's addressing this. He said, I know you came out of this kind of world. I know you came out of a pagan world and your idols were mute. So you spoke for them. Because they couldn't, they didn't have anything to say. They're not real. But you participated with the demons when you were doing that. So that's, it. so verse three. So therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And it looks like here what Paul's doing is he's giving us sort of this simple test, all right? And, and the, the test would go like this. You finish the, the statement, Jesus is, and then if they said anathema, you're like, well, then you're bad. And then they said, well, Jesus is Lord. Well, you're good. I mean, so it looks like a simple test here, all right? And at the most basic level, it probably is, but think, I think as we think through this, Paul's doing something else as well. He's actually doing something more. If something's spiritual or something claims to be spiritual, but Jesus is not the center and the source of that, if, if if 
So you might be here this morning. You say, well, you know what? I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm a Christian. I mean, not like the church would define it, but I, but I mean, I'm a spiritual person. I say, okay, well, if, if what you're talking about and what you're pursuing, th- that's fine. You call it spiritual. But if Jesus isn't the center of that, he's not the source of that, of, of all of your life, then it's not Christian. If the Holy Spirit, Paul's going to say, isn't the source and Jesus the center. And you say, well, so what does it mean, accursed or anathema? Well, I think in practical terms, it's essentially, it's to say anything less about Jesus than what God's word has said. Could be the denial of his deity or, or the denial of his humanity. Could be a, you know, uh, a denial of, the, of the, the, the sacrifice of the cross and the resurrection to new life. Of his suffering and his glory. And you hear this in, in the language sometimes it goes like, well, look, I mean, Jesus, he's a great teacher. I mean, we, who doesn't respect Jesus? I mean, Jesus, we like Jesus. You know, and he's just out there and just trying to have a revolution and change the world. It was nice to everybody and they, and they killed him. But I mean, let's not get silly and say he was, that he's God. I mean, we should listen to his teachings. We should do the things Jesus does. That's good. I mean, we like Jesus. We've been trying to be canceled for 2,000 years. He survived it all. Props to Jesus. That's anathema. Anything short of... He's the eternal son of God who stepped out of eternity into history and took on humanity, became my sin, was nailed to a cross, died accursed, the sacrifice for sin. Laid in a grave for three days and rose to new life by the power of God defeating death. See, anything short of that is anathema because that's who Jesus is. But to say, Jesus is Lord, to say, oh, no, I do believe that. I have come to understand that. My, my ears were open. My, my mind said, oh, yeah, I can, I can take hold of that by grace, through faith. I trust in Christ alone for my salvation. I, I do that. I, I, I didn't see it. And then all of a sudden, one day, I, I did see it. Jesus is the Lord. Of course he is. Paul says, that, then that's the Spirit. That's the evidence of the Spirit. You can't, can't get there without the Spirit of God working in your life. And so he's moving the discussion about the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's, looking, he's moving that away from us looking into the mirror or looking at our spiritual gifts as the measuring stick of the Spirit's presence in our life. And he's saying, look, if you're a believer... 
Every one of you that's a believer, every single one of you, you have the Spirit, all of the Spirit. The Spirit indwells you. You can't get any more of the Spirit than you, than you have. And the Spirit can get more of you, but you have the Spirit. All of the Godhead, really. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are active in giving and distributing and manifesting and empowering these gifts in your life. You are spiritual in that sense if you're a believer in Christ. So in verse six, uh, 4 through 6, he says, um, look at this. So three, a couple of things I want you to notice. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, Varieties of service, but the same Lord. And varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. This is a Trinitarian statement. So sometimes people say, well, I, you know, Trinity's not in the, the word Trinity's not in the Bible. And, and I said, well, no, but it, it's a word that describes what's in the Bible. And here's a Trinitarian statement. You have the Spirit and the Lord, this is Jesus. He's told us Jesus is Lord. And God, the, the Father. And, and Paul here, he's not trying to make a distinction between these three. This is, this is the one and same God who is three and is one. Who empowers us. We, we are intimately involved. We are intimately connected the power of God is at work in, in all of who you are, in everyone. I do think he's trying to give us a broad scope of God's activity in our life. The triune God's actively, purposely, specifically, intimately involved in your life. So sometimes we talk about gifts, spiritual gifts, and we, we think of things that are supernatural you know, the sign gifts or the he, you know, healing or supernatural gifts. And then sometimes it, it, it includes that. Sometimes it's the Godhead, the, the Spirit of God, that's energizing your natural gifts. Because, by the way, those are from God too. Energizing your natural gifts to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes what it looks like is divinely orchestrated, you know, right time, right place situations where you serve somebody or you encourage somebody or you... Sometimes you don't even know it. You don't remember it. But the person you encountered at that right time, at that right place, because God was, his energy was, and his activity was empowering that, that was life-changing for them. Now, let me roll some of this up for us for a second, and then um, I'll finish this out. Here are some things. So walk with me now back through these verses, and let's look at what Paul is saying about uh, gifts here, all right? They're spiritual. Secondly, there are varieties. 
See that word four through six? Varieties, varieties, varieties. It means there are many and they are different. Different gifts and service and, and activities. One writer, he, he said it this way. I love it. The triune God loves diversity. So much so that when he sends a snowstorm, he makes, he makes each snowflake different. That's pretty good. Notice, there is a unity of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. That is the foundation for the diversity of gifts. They all have one source. And then in verse 7 tells us these gifts are manifested, which means that they're made visible. It's, 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 they're tangible. This isn't just abstract. It's not just theology we read on a page or listen to in a sermon. It's real. It works itself out. God's power works itself out in our lives. There are multiple gifts. So, verses 8 through 10 lists nine gifts. There are other um, uh, passages that list gifts. We have listed in the New Testament 20, 21 different gifts. But they're not, it's, this is not a comprehensive list. These are just, Paul just, you know, Saying this one and this one and this one, but there'd be no end to how God chooses to pour his grace out in your life for the benefit of the common good. They are empowered, verse 6, verse 11, apportioned to each one, to each one, each believer, as he wills, so we don't earn them. You know, can't buy them. Can't beg for them. It's God's will, his pleasure. And the purpose is for the common good and for God's pleasure. Now look at verse 7. Let's walk through this. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to each believer, to each individual belief. If you are a believer in Christ, given to you is a manifestation of the Spirit of God for the common good. So you might say it this way. It is a gift given to you, a spiritual gift given to you, gift given to you. That's not for you. It's for everybody else around you. The gift is for us. The gift God's given you is for us. And man, we need that gift. It's not for you. It's for everybody around you. It's how God works this. Now, look at verses 8 through 10. You're about to be super disappointed, all right? Like you want me to get into the details of how each of these works. Here's the thing. Paul doesn't tell us. He just lists them. Doesn't tell us anything about them or how they work. It's crazy. That's how he does this. You can read commentator after commentator, and then somebody will tell you, well, this is the difference between the utterance of wisdom and this is the, the, between utterance and knowledge. And you read another guy, and I think he said the exact same. And we don't know. 
can't be dogmatic about all this. I'll take some best shots at it, but I... You have the utterance of, in verse 8, utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. This is connected to what God has revealed in his word. Can't be called knowledge or wisdom if it is out of sync with God's word. Just can't be. And some people have a unique ability. The God-given, empowered, manifested, energized ability to say those things in ways that, that impact us and make them memorable. Or to discern what's being said that sounds almost right but isn't right. That sort of thing. The question comes up in the next bit. So are there sign gifts and then others are just regular gifts? Have some of the gifts ceased? You know, are we cessationists? Are we continuationists? Are we charismatics? Well, the truth is we're all charismatics because the word for gifts is what? Charisma. So, there you go. Um, It's not answered here. Actually, it's not answered anywhere. But in chapter 14, I'll show you what he has to say about that. Look at verse 9. He says, by another faith, another gifts of healing. That faith there is not saving faith. Every believer has saving faith. This is probably something like the ability to trust God in an impossible situation. The great example is a guy named George Mueller who was a missionary and built orphanages and had crushing financial needs in all of this ministry and never spoke a word of his need to anyone except for God. And every single need God met. And he keeps a journal about it. George Bristol of Mueller. If you're looking for a great biography to read, it's old, but it's great. It talks about he had this Need, the specific need, down to the penny. He kept all these incredible records. And then it would show up to the penny. God would meet that need. Oh, man, I don't exactly know what the gift of faith is, but my, I guess to go, I bet, it's, I bet it looks something like that. Healing. Maybe it's miraculous, supernatural. Maybe it's the energizing of a, Physical care or comfort. Sometimes the gift of healing is not the person who heals. It is the one who was healed. Paul had the gift of healing. We know this because some people were healed in Paul's ministry. But not everyone was healed in Paul's ministry. So it wasn't like, you know, it was like a superpower where you run around and it's like, boom, boom. And people were here. I mean, Timothy had ailments he wasn't healed from by Paul. Paul had his own ailments. Seemed to be something God used in his own time and his own pleasure. We don't own the gifts we're given. 
Look at verse 10. Working of miracles. Prophecy. I'll talk more about prophecy and tongues in a couple of weeks. We'll get all into that. Some of you are like, I came here to hear about tongues. I promise you, you'll hear all there I have to say about tongues from, from 1 Corinthians, all right? Um, the, the, the distinguishing between spirits, uh, the special kind of uh, discernment. Mostly I want you to see, Paul here is just listing the gifts. They're not ranked. They're not explained. And you know why? Because his purpose is not that they focus on the gifts. His purpose is that they focus on the God who's the giver of the gifts. His purpose is that they see it is the same spirit and the same Lord and the same God and that it is God who gives the gifts. And, and, it, and, he, and he pours his grace out on his people according to his own will. Not according to anything anybody's done or deserves. And a lot of times we see that and we think, oh, that doesn't make sense. But it does to God. And, and so the trying to size people up or trying to say, well, my gift's a better gift than your gift. My gift's more important than your gift. Or my gift's not very important. Paul says, that's, we're not even talking about that. We're talking about the God who gifts us and empowers us and manifests his grace in our life for the good of all of those around us. That's what we're talking about. And if you're a believer, give all of God. It's not about getting any more of him. And he's already intimately at work in your life. He's, he's energizing you, empowering you for all that he has. Some of you are like, I don't even, I don't even know what that is. How do I know what my gift is? And I'm going to talk more about that maybe next week, for sure the week after. And, and sometimes you say, oh, so I need to take a spiritual gift test. I'm like, okay. I, I don't love those things. I know they're useful, so if you don't know what else to do, take it. But here's really the best way to do it. One, you have to like be in a relationship with other people though, which is kind of how this whole deal works. Because remember, your gift is not for you. It's for the people around you. And somebody's like, I don't know what am I getting? And he's like, well, then you're not using it. Because the people around you aren't benefiting. How you find it? Get in your small group. Ask your Bible study. The people that, are, that know you, that are believers, how do you think I'm gifted? you know what they're going to tell you? Oh, man, this is for my good. When you do this or you say this or... Like, I know somebody that has the gift of hospitality. I'll tell you. Here's the way I'd describe it. When they're in my, I feel more at, my, more at home in my home when they're there. I feel more at home in my own home when they're there. That they, they wouldn't even know how to, it's how God uses them for the good. Ask the people, like, how do you think God's gifted me? That's an okay question to ask. And it's not because like, hey, how do you think I'm gifted? So it matters how you ask the question. 
say, look, I'm really, I really want to know. I really want to be a good steward of this. The people in your life know this. Ask them. All right, look at verse 11 real quick. Notice these things. All these, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. They all have a common source. Who apportions to each one individually every single believer you've been apportioned. How does he choose? As he wills. Not my will, but yours be done. Now, we don't earn the gifts, we receive them. We don't own the gifts, we're stewards of them. And we don't flaunt the gifts. Glorify God, and we build each other up. I want to leave you with one thing, and we're going to close and be done. First Peter, Peter says it in the most simple way in First Peter chapter 4. Just listen to one verse, chapter 4, verse 10. This is what Peter has to say about spiritual gifts. As each, each believer, as every believer, has received a gift... A spiritual gift. Each believer, every single believer has received a spiritual gift. And then he says, use it to serve one another. Peter knows the purpose of them. They're not for us. They're for everybody around us. But then he says this. As good stewards of God's varied grace. The word varied means kaleidoscope or rainbow or multifaceted. What Peter says is, essentially, this is, this is what God's done. He's taken his grace, which is matchless and unending and unconditional and transforming He takes a bit of that grace and apportions it to Jonathan. The blue grace out of the rainbow. And he takes another bit of it and gives it to Serena. Serena, I want you to steward this portion of my grace. And takes another bit and says, Evan, I want you to I want you to steward this portion of my grace, of the very grace of God. And as a believer, we, we have a portion of the grace of God that we're stewards of. Sometimes we say to each other, man, I just need more grace. Look around. This room is full of it. And we're stewards of it. It's not for me. It's for you.
And you have grace that I need. And that's how the body of Christ works. The only other time that word varied, multicolored rainbow is used, the way that it's used there is also in 1 Peter at the very beginning when he talks about the various trials that we go through. All the things we meet in life, all the tough things, all the suffering, all the various trials, guess what? They're met with, they're meant to be met with the various grace of God. And some of you came in here as an individual this morning looking to fill your gas tank or to water your plant. And, and okay, that's okay. I hope, I, got, I hope your plant grows. You drive fast, whatever. But you came in here for so much more. You came in here because I need you. Everybody around here needs you. you you're, you're the steward of a very portion of the grace of God, and we desperately need that. If you would, would you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, help us understand these things. That this wouldn't just be words on a page. It wouldn't just be theology in our minds. It would, Father, the, the reality of how this works out in our relationships and with each other, we desperately need that. You've provided it for us. So for some, Father, have your way that your word would not return void and you would work on our minds. And there are some minds this morning that may need to be changed about something, need to see something differently. Help us to do that. Father, for some of us, would your word work on our heart? Because they're, they're hard or they're bitter or they're angry. And Father, would you soften us? Bring us to a place of, like we sang earlier this morning, Repentance. Forgiveness for, the, for, for our lives. That, that when we leave, we'd, we'd walk in your way. We would, we'd do battle with our own flesh and our own wills and our own desires. And we'd say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. And we'd, we'd follow you and walk in your way. That we'd quit being so distracted by all the things that we let ourselves be distracted by. And we would be great stewards of your grace by your will for the good of those around me. Father, there's a joy in that that some of us don't even know yet. And so we ask for that. We ask this the only way we can. In the name of your son Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, we'll, we'll stand up with me. Let's be dismissed. You can email me if you got questions and things. I've always wondered about this or um, I think you're wrong or uh, whatever. Uh, Ross at BethelBible.com. I'll, I'll answer them. Spiritual gifts in the subject line though. Everything else goes to trash. All right. <laughs> May the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you. Amen. See you next week.